We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon and welcome to the Hoosier Huddle Podcast. I'm Sammy Jacobs. Our other host, TJ Inman, will be along shortly. Today we are previewing Indiana's home opener against the Ball State Cardinals. Uh, so uh, lots of uh, good stuff coming up. Indiana's 1-0. Ball State is 1-0 after defeating uh, Georgia State in their opener on Friday night uh, down in the Georgia Dome. Uh, we'll go over players to watch, matchups to watch, keys to victory and um, maybe a surprise player to watch as well. Um, so we will uh, start with that. And joining us right now is uh, TJ Inman. TJ, how are you? I am doing wonderful. Uh, you know, it was a tremendous opening weekend of college football. Had a ton of fun watching um, not only the Big Ten teams, but, uh, you know, the other really marquee matchups. Uh, just super Good advertisement for the sport of college football, really. Uh, exciting games, really, from Thursday to, to Monday. So it was, uh, it was a really good opening weekend. Hoping for more of the same in week two. Yeah, it was. I, I enjoyed it. It was uh, one of the rare Saturdays that I got to, to watch football, um, you know, watch everybody else play football as, as IU played yeah. on Thursday. Uh, but, TJ, it's a big game coming up for IU this week. Uh, Ball State comes in with a 1-0 record with a new coach coming off a 3-9 and season. Uh, but they have won three in a row in this series, and they've won the last two uh, at Memorial Stadium, uh, one back in 2008 and one in 2012. Now, both programs uh, lo- look vastly different um, from when they last played. Uh, Ball State has a new coach, Mike New, uh, who's taking over for Pete Lembo who uh, left to take an assistance job at Maryland uh, after seeing writing on the wall after a three and nine season. Uh, but, you know, Ball State is not going to be scared coming into a Big Ten venue and uh, and trying to get the win. They've done it before as a program um, and, and they have all the momentum in this series and they, they have the right to carry themselves with a little bit of swagger uh, coming into this one. Yeah, I, anytime you uh, you beat a Big Ten opponent, especially an in-state foe, three times in a row, um, you know you're you're feeling like it's possible to do it a fourth. I mean, why wouldn't you feel that way if you're a Ball State player when you can look back at history that while things are, you know, to our eyes much different than they were in 08, 11, and 12. I mean, really, that's not that long ago. So it's not like they have to go back to the 50s to to see success against Indiana. Um, so I'm sure that they are, you know, their coaches are probably, you know, kind of walking a fine line between 
you know, reminding the players that, look, program has done this, and also kind of, you know, reminding them, yeah, this program has done it, but this particular team hasn't. So don't go in there feeling like you don't have to earn, you know, earn the fourth in a row. Uh, For Indiana, I imagine that the coaches don't really have to do too much reminding of players that, you know, you guys, this program, although none of the players involved in this Saturday's matchup uh, will have dealt with it, but, um, you know, they're not going to have to be reminded that Indiana's lost three in a row to them. And they're not going to be reminded about the importance, just in strictly speaking, of this season, the importance of getting this victory, going to 2-0. and The last thing you want to do is ruin that week one performance by losing to Ball State and going to your bye week where you have to sit around miserable for 14 days before you can get out there and play somebody else. Uh, that would make for a really, really bad week of, uh, week of practices and um, I – and then consequences-wise, you know, it would put a large dent in the bull hopes, uh, you know, when you have performances like Michigan and Ohio State did in week one, you're you're feeling a little bit uh, less sure of any upset chances in those matchups. Um, so this is always a game that when we looked at the schedule for, for 2016 and thought out, okay, how can Indiana get to six? You know, what's that map look like? And I think that map in pretty much everyone's mind included a W against Ball State. While it certainly won't be easy, uh, you know, there are some some reasons to expect Indiana to, to get the win and for things to be different than they have been the last three times they've met. Yeah, and going into this game, uh, you know, what makes you a little bit nervous, and people pointed it out, uh, is how Ball State played last year against um, a Big Ten foe at Northwestern. They nearly knocked them off. Northwestern went on to win 10 games. Uh, but, you know, there, there are a lot of players back from that last year's team, starting with uh, quarterback Riley Neal, uh, who's an in-state kid. He's from Yorktown, Indiana, up by Muncie. Um, and you know, he, ha- he put up some good numbers last year. I think he was in, you know, a top three in, in true freshman in passing yards. But – you know, after watching the game on Friday, he, he was not that impressive. He completed, you know, 15 to 29 passes. He threw three interceptions um, and only threw for 130 yards. Um, and so I don't know if that was going against a Georgia State team, you know, whose defense got him out of rhythm early. They threw an early pick six and really, you know, maybe shaking his confidence uh, a little bit after that. But you know, 15 to 29, three picks and 130 yards has, you know, seems like stats that a true freshman and not a sophomore with uh, a lot of game experience under their belts would uh, uh, would do. What are, what are your thoughts about Riley Neal? Yeah, I mean, 2,300, well, a little bit less than 2,300 yards a season ago. Uh, completion percentage was about 58%. He was just below 58%. Um, you know, I – I would describe what he did last year as, as a, a solid uh, solid performance and an encouraging one from a true freshman, one that you would expect they'll be built on and then really the start of a good four-year career. Um, I think the the biggest advantage he had last year was he had two really good receivers. Uh, one of those returns, and we'll talk about him a little bit later, but uh, his top target did leave, and it, it looked like he missed him a little bit, Jonathan Williams. 
uh, was that top target a year ago, and I think that uh, it looked like he was a little bit unsure of that. Maybe, you know, maybe a new offensive system um, under the new head coach. I, I think that probably the biggest the biggest issue for him that I saw when I looked at uh, looked at some you know game highlights and a couple I watched I watched that Ball State Northwestern game. I think the biggest issue that he has. There's not a ton of arm strength. Uh, I don't think that he has the top-level arm strength that you would expect from a, you know, a, a high-end starter. I think he can be very solid, but if Ball State's going to beat Indiana, he has to be much better than he was last week. There's no doubt about that, and that that's not just cutting down on turnovers. He needs to improve the completion percentage as well. 51% is not going to get it done against Indiana unless he's getting a lot of big plays, and that's something they had none of in the passing game. I think that their top uh, top passing play yardage-wise was 21. Um, yes, and that was, was the Mavis, long so, Yeah, so they had, much like Indiana, they did not really have any explosive plays in the passing game. They had much fewer than Indiana did, even. Um, they got a couple of explosive plays in the running game, but uh, the passing game, if if he's struggling like he was uh, last Friday, I would expect to see a loaded box uh, against him. And, and I, I think it's really going to be key for Indiana to get pressure on him, much like they did Alex Magoo. And I, I feel good that if they get pressure, I think Bradley Neal's going to make some mistakes and, uh, and struggle to get that completion percentage up. Just like any quarterback that's decent, if he's got a clean pocket, he's probably going to have a pretty nice day. What separates the good from the, the, the bad or even the good from the great is what can you do when the pocket's a little bit dirty um, and you're under pressure, you know, what do your stats say at that point? And I think that Indiana could have a, a pretty good time against Riley Neal if they can get pressure on him. So we'll see how the defensive line with Ralph, uh, Ralph Green back in the mix. We'll see if they can replicate the success they had in week one. Yeah, and that, that'll be huge. You saw, you know, Indiana had a, had a lot of takeaways, uh, three takeaways in game one. Yeah. But you saw some of those receivers get open deep, um, you know, um, for FIU. And that's where the pressure on, on defense kind of got Magoo out of, out of sorts a little bit. And that's something that mm-hmm. IU needs to clean up is they need to run with these receivers um, and, and make sure that they don't get beat as much. I mean, they, there was a pass where it looked like it, it could have been a short touchdown or at least a, a nice long play for FIU, and uh, the guy dropped it on the sideline. And, you know, that, that kind of changed the game a little bit in terms of momentum. Uh, FIU, I believe, was they were either up one or, or down two, and, and getting a touchdown there or a nice drive there uh, really – may have, uh, you know, put that nail in the coffin for IU. But uh, in terms, going back to this game, uh, you know, they Ball State struggled throwing the ball, but ran the ball pretty well. Uh, they ran for 325 yards. I believe all of their running backs were over five yards to carry, um, led by uh, James Gilbert, uh, who went for 160 on 29 carries, scored three touchdowns. Uh, Darian Green was great as well, uh, 13 carries for 93 yards and a touchdown. 
And then Riley Neal had a 46-yard run uh, as well. And then, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the, their bigger back, um, Teddy Williamson, uh, who's more of a fullback, uh, averaged seven yards per carry and a touchdown as well. So that's something that IU shut down well against FIU. Um, mm-hmm. Their running game holding them to under 70 yards. And if you take away that that 23-yard run at the at the beginning of the game, which was a missed assignment uh, by Marcelino Ball, you know they they really shut them down the rest of the way. So uh, to me, shutting down that that running game, getting you know getting in, in Riley Neal's face and and taking away that what they do well um, is key. Yeah, the running game for Ball State was pretty impressive, especially in the second half against Georgia State. Uh, Tom Allen made a point to, to bring it up that both, and then as did Mike New in his press conference as well this week, uh, they both said that, you know, Ball State's offensive line just kind of physically took over that game in the second half. And uh, that's when Ball State, you know, with the passing game struggling a little bit, uh, they just decided to go ahead and keep pounding it because, as Mike New said, you'd be crazy to go away from it when it was working. And he's right. So they did the logical thing. They kept running and it kept working. And Georgia State was powerless to stop it. Uh, Ball State's offensive line just kept turning it out. So I I do not think they'll have that same success against Indiana. Um, Georgia State's defensive line was, to my eye, pretty undersized. I I don't think that they uh, were anywhere close to what Ball State's going to see against Indiana, question mark. That, uh, you know, if – Ball State does see a little success in the running game. You know, are they going to be bolstered by the confidence they gained last week? Yeah, I'm sure they will. And then what does Indiana do to respond if Ball State sees a little bit of early success in the running game? You know, how does IU's defensive line, which was very good last week, you know, surprisingly so, uh, how do they respond to it? And I, so I'm looking forward to seeing, number one, uh, what the defensive tackle tandem of Nate Hoff and Ralph Green when they're on the field together, what do they look like? Cause I thought Hoff played a pretty nice game last week. I thought he was fairly disruptive. Uh, didn't have a lot of tackles, but his job in that defensive tackle position is really just be disruptive, take up blockers and get into that backfield and blow plays up and then have others get the tackles as they fly to the ball. Uh, and I thought he did a pretty good job of that last week. Um, so we'll see if he can do that again, and then what can Ralph Crane add to it. And then the guys that, uh, you know, got into the action last week that maybe you didn't expect, uh, Patrick Doherty I thought played a very nice game. Um, and then pass rush-wise, you know, we weren't expecting a ton out of Omari Stringer, but he had a really good game. And I, I went back and uh, watched it a second time, and he stood out even more the second time. Very quick off the snap. Uh, did a good job getting by his initial blocker and, and forcing the quarterback to to move out of the pocket. So I, it was an impressive and encouraging debut from a lot of members of IU's defensive line. I think six guys of the 11 that played were making their collegiate debut on that, uh, that defensive line. So, you know, we'll see if there's improvement there or, uh, or if they, you know, regress a little bit. We'll see. That's going to be an interesting thing to watch. As far as Ball State's running backs go, yeah, they, they're they're a good group. Um, I had kind of thought coming into the season that 
James Gilbert was going to be the second back and that they would have um, uh, what's his name? Uh, Darian Green, sorry. They would have Darian Green as the primary back. He was listed in uh, F1 Sports as a third-team all-Mac running back preseason, but uh, Green was, was behind Gilbert in the rotation. Green only had 13 rushes. Gilbert had in the high 20s. So uh, we'll see if that's their game plan again or if they go with Green. I think Green's a little bit uh, shiftier. Gilbert certainly looked the part of a power back. So Indiana's going to have to make sure they wrap him up. Um, he doesn't look like he's going to go down easily or with just one tackler. So, you know, being aggressive, flying to the ball is going to be important for the defense. Uh, I, you know, as we deal with the receivers, uh, Kevin Maben, uh, he was their secondary target last year. He's their main receiving threat this year. He had eight catches for 69 yards in the opener. I think Richard Fant um, is going to be the guy mainly guarding or covering him. I, you know, in the secondary, I thought that in the opener it was Fant with a pretty good day. Not not amazing, but a pretty good day. And then I thought Marcelino Ball was really good, very active. Now, who do you think was kind of the, the third guy after those top two in the secondary that stood out to you? Was it was it Ashawn Riggins? Was it uh, Khalil Bryant, Ben Bach? You know, who – who kind of stood out to you besides uh, besides the top two, or maybe you don't agree with the top two, but I thought it was Fanton Ball, and then after that, who do you think, and what do you expect to see? You know, we don't get to see practice, so who knows, but what are you kind of expecting to see as, as the second corner spot as we continue to move on in the season here? What do you think will happen on Saturday as far as secondary corner goes? And then do you expect to see more of anybody, less of anybody, based on what happened in the opener? Um, uh, that's a good question, TJ. Uh, you know, Fan obviously, you know, he had the pick six and, and yeah. broke up a couple passes. I thought Tony Fields played really well um, at yeah. one of those safety positions. He saved a touchdown on that first um, first FIU drive, making a, just an unbelievable play. It looked like Johnny Smith, who's – going to be an NFL player at tight end, uh, had the catch. He came in, raked the ball out, nearly got the interception, um, and, and saved you know saved the touchdown, forced them to kick a field goal. So I think Tony Fields is going to see um, uh, see the, the field a little bit more, um, especially if Dutra and um, if Chase Dutra and Jamie Thompson aren't aren't healthy. Um, and then you'll also have, uh, you know, back there is, is, is Jonathan Crawford. He played a, a solid game. You know, nothing. he didn't stand out um, in terms of, like, making plays like he did last year. But we've come to take him for granted a little bit. He's out there a lot. He's making plays. He, he was – I think he might have led the team in tackles. I don't have the, the stats right in front of me. But he did. Him, yeah, nine, I think. He, led the team in tackles, just a very solid safety out there. Um, Tony Fields, and I thought Ben Bach played pretty well as well. And I think you're going to see more of Bach at corner, uh, probably less of, of Tyler Green. Um, and then you'll see Ashawn uh, Riggins back there and, and Khalil Bryant uh, mix in too. Now, what, what stood out to me after the game at FIU was uh, Coach Wilson talking about having Marcus Oliver kind of on a, on a pitch count in terms of plays um, and whether or not that was just due to the heat and humidity down there 
or um, if it was something that they're trying to save him for later. IU will play 10 Power 5 conference games in a row yep. after, um, after their open week. So is it saving, you know, saving some bullets in the chamber there, or was it something like they didn't want to go, uh, you know, have him play 50, 60 plays uh, in that heat and humidity? Um, and so we'll, we'll see what their philosophy is there. But this defense, it, it was fun to watch last week. Um, and I would keep an eye on in the secondary, uh, you know, the two freshmen and then um, at Tony Fields as well. Um, but yeah. uh, moving on, uh, TJ, I do w- one last FIU point. Uh, watching that game again, it I think from an IU offensive standpoint, they're going to be better this week. Just they could not get into a rhythm. And, and watching the game again, every time they got a 12-yard run or an 11-yard pass and went for the first down and tried to go hurry up, you saw an FIU player cramping on on, on the ground. So I, I don't think Ball State's going to resort to that. Um, it's not going to be as hot and humid um, as it is. I think the forecast calls for high 70s, maybe a chance of showers. Um, so it, it's not going to be... Uh, that kind of heat and humidity where, you know, players are going down, um, defensive linemen are going down like they did uh, against FIU. And, and, and a credit to um, to uh, to uh, the strength, IU strength coach, Keith uh, Caton, for getting his guys ready, uh, the nutritional team as well, because uh, IU, you know, they didn't you know, maybe saw one guy cramping, but the other injuries – you know, was Jordan Fuchs and Mark Oliver looked like he got a cut on his hand or something. Um, but other than that, they looked like they were better prepared to play in South Florida mm-hmm. than than FIU. So big credit uh, to the strength and conditioning staff for IU. But I, I think in terms of this game, the offense is going to be much better. Uh, you're going to have uh, Richard Lego, while, while it's not, you know, it, it's his home opener. It's, he's already got a game under his belt. He'll be, you know, pumped up to go. But I think maybe after that first drive, he'll settle down better, make better plays. And, and you'd think if, if Simi Cobbs is back um, playing, that putting him and Westbrook on the field at the same time really gives them uh, some length and size at receiver and, and gives them a little bit more depth there as well in terms of, of putting another guy that, that uh, Rich could throw the ball to as Westbrook became his go-to guy in that game as well. Um, and then you have to, you have to believe that Ricky Jones and Mitchell page will be involved more in the offense as well. Uh, it was a very interesting, I think the rhythm thing that you brought up, I think that that was a huge part of kind of those drives stalling out Um I, I would certainly like to see more Mitchell Page, but, you know, I, I give credit to Legault. He was taking what the defense was giving him, and really that was Nick Westbrook on the sideline that is what they were giving him. They were giving a pretty big cushion to Westbrook on the outside, and uh, he was running a lot of those. And, you know, it's a route that we saw Simi Cobbs run a lot. It really was a like-for-like replacement. Uh, when Westbrook stepped in there, they look alike. He's maybe not quite as tall, but um, he's also younger. So, you know, he'll, he'll develop a little bit more. And um, he looked ready for a, a big role in the offense. Westbrook did, you know, running that 10 to 12 yard out route on the sideline that they, they hit on pretty much every time except for one, which Lego just, you know, threw it too far to the outside, which 
you'd rather have it there than on the inside. So that was a, a good route for them. I expect to see, you know, another good day for Westbrook. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if Cobbs is playing, what they do with if the two of them are on the field together or if they go, you know, Westbrook just uh, spelling Cobbs. I think you'll see them on the field some together, and that'll be exciting. I, I think you'll see uh, – I, I kind of think you'll see Danny Friend – continues to be a bigger part of the offense as the season goes on. Uh, Kevin Wilson, or I think it was Wilson, alluded to the fact that uh, Friend's injury last season, you know, impacted his play uh, a little bit more than anybody realized, um, which, which to me, reading between the lines, would say, you know, expect big things from this guy as long as he's healthy. And uh, yeah, I think and- you'll continue to see him be a pretty big part of the attack. And I I don't think that Ball State, looking at their defense against Georgia State, Georgia State does not have a guy like Danny Friend, and I don't think that Ball State has the size uh, in the the size in the linebacker uh, position to deal with Danny Friend, and they certainly don't have it in the secondary. So I, I think Danny Friend could be in line for a pretty big game, um, and then you know running the ball, uh, Georgia State's running game was was not very good. I thought their offensive line was really poor. Uh and I I fully expect Indiana to to give Ball State's run defense a much bigger challenge than they saw in week 1. It's not even going to resemble what Georgia State threw at them or ran at them, I should say. I they mentioned uh during this this press conference this week that Divine Redding um you know, had a had a bit of a fumble issue. He's had it in practice, and he dropped it once in the game. Uh, lost the fumble. fumbled I thought twice. You, I, I think he yeah, fumbled he did, twice yeah. in the game. One IU recovered, and one. Um, I mean, it looked like he might have been down, but it was that close, and you don't want to put the replay official right. in that that position. He also had Cole Guest right. fumbling, um, and Wes Martin making a, a a nice catch to to cover up there. Yeah. So. You know, maybe the humidity had to do something with the slick ball, but that's something that was kind of surprising at the press conference on Monday was him calling out Redding for his fumbles. We saw it a couple years ago um, at Michigan when Tevin fumbled on the two out of the three first drives or so, and and he was benched. Uh, So they're not afraid to bench their best players, um, and especially with the depth they have behind Redding. Um, and and Mm -hmm. the depth that they have on the offensive line. And and as you were saying with Danny Friend, Danny Friend's 270 pounds. It's like having a six lineman out there. Um, And then add in Brandon Knight at the other tight end. I mean, you're almost at seven seven lineman, offensive lineman out there paving the way. And, you know, Danny Friend, to put into perspective, their ball state defensive tackles at 299. And their their defensive ends are two forty seven, um, and and two uh, twenty five. So I use running out there with a, a tight end who's two seventy can run the field, can catch the ball, um, and he's a ferocious blocker. Uh, we we saw it on on Thursday night. He was, they were playing to the whistle, and you just see him driving FIU guys ten fifteen yards down the field and, and planting yeah. them in the ground. So. You know, IU should have the advantage on the offensive line. They're one of the better offensive lines in the Big Ten, um, and I think they should be able to run the ball at will um, and then pick apart 
you know, the secondary, if they start loading the box um, with seven, eight, nine guys um, playing press coverage. Now, uh, now uh, Lego has, has a chance to shoot it downfield. If you could get a few, hit some of those big plays, which they didn't against FIU, uh, IU will have a chance to have, uh, you know, put up some serious points, put some distance between them and the Cardinals. And, uh, you know, hopefully make this game a, a comfortable win. Uh, TJ, let's move on to the keys to victory a little bit. Uh, we'll go over one or two keys each. Uh, my first key uh, to, to IU winning is uh, is getting points on, on the opponent's side of the field. I think IU went into opponent's territory, uh, I believe, 12 times against FIU. Um, and then especially in, inside the red zone, inside the 10, uh, they they just looked like they bogged down, settled for field goals, um, and then just you know one field goal attempt was missed by Griffin Oaks, the other one was dropped by the holder Mitchell Page, um, and we'll see. You know they have to get points when they can. If if you're putting up 486 yards of offense, you've got to be putting up you know close to closer to 40 points on offense. Um, now, is the defense going to score 16 again? Probably not. That, that was something that probably hasn't happened in IU football history. The, the two pick sixes hasn't happened since 1966. So add in a safety there, and it, and it probably hasn't happened. Um, but, you know, turning those drives, long drives, into seven and three points instead of, you know, a missed field goal here, you know, a, a punt from Joseph Gideon, um, stuff like that, turning those opportunities into more points um, is very, very important. Yep, the, that, that's one of the things that I have on my, my primer, which is coming out later this week as a, a key point. It's going to be, and we talked about it coming into this game and really throughout the off season was finishing drives. And in, in uh, the first game of the season, we saw it as a, you know, a point of, I wouldn't say a a major negative because of those final two drives that did end in touchdowns when they got into the scoring zone, which, you know, I, I consider a scoring opportunity getting inside the 40 of the opponent. Uh, having a first down inside of the opponent's 40 is what is kind of known as a scoring opportunity. Uh, Indiana was in there eight times. The first six times they got three points total. So that's really bad. I mean, you're, you're looking at an opportunity to have you're, – you're not going to score a touchdown all six times there probably, but, you know, that's an opportunity for 42 points. Uh, Indiana got three points out of. So a max of 42, they got three. That's terrible. But in the final two drives, they were able to get 14 out of 14 uh, with those two touchdowns. And, I, you know, maybe they figured out something there. Uh, the, the wheel route to Danny Friend was a gorgeous call and wonderfully executed as well. Uh, the read options on two occasions there in the, the, the fourth quarter where Richard Legault kept it once for a touchdown, the other a solid gain. So, it, it you know, they they got into in a game that really lacked rhythm. They did have a little bit of rhythm on those two drives, and it, they were able to, to execute for touchdowns. But, yeah, finishing drives is going to be critically important for Indiana. And uh, something I'm keeping an eye on, I don't know if it's a key to the game because, you know, your your offensive balance and your play calling is going to be dictated by 
what's working and what's not working. But it was really interesting. Uh, in week one, both teams, Indiana and Ball State, ran the ball 52 times. Ball State threw 29 passes, IU threw 28. So, uh, you know, both teams almost two to one run to pass. And I think for both teams, it was just a matter of, you know, the running game's working, why go away from it? Uh, we'll see if, if they have to adjust that based on, you know, the defense are doing a better job stopping it. But I do think you'll see a little bit more pass than you did in week one from Indiana here in week two. I, I don't know what your thoughts are on that, but do you expect to see more than 28 pass attempts this week? I would. It depends on, on how, what the defense gives you. IU usually goes to the line with a pass and a run play and gives the quarterback a a choice on what to run. And, and it seems like uh, Lego has um, – Lego, sorry. Um, Lego has uh, has enough uh, trust in the offense to be able to make that call um, or ha- at least have some input on it. I would think that th- they they would probably throw the ball a little bit more to start. It's not going to be as – windy or as as humid and and wet uh, you know hopefully the the storms in the forecast stay into the morning and the and that ball's not uh wet but um you know if, if they have to they they'll run the ball and um yeah. but it, it's something they need to get the passing game going they'll have a week off in between so if they have to work on something you want to work on in the game uh i i would probably think somewhere between 35 throws maybe 40 yeah. um, max, but definitely more than 28. Uh, and then you'll, you'll, you know, hopefully get out to a lead, get out to a big lead and, and start grinding that clock down with, with shorter throws and, and uh, leaning on that offensive line and, and running game to close it out. Yep. I, I would agree with that. I was thinking somewhere between 30 and 35 would be, uh, about what you'd expect if things go according to plan, like like we both said. You know, it depends on what the defense is giving you. It depends on what's working. If Indiana goes out and, uh, you know, they're running the ball for five, six yards with series and you march down and score a couple of touchdowns, then there's really no reason to put the ball in the air 35 times. But if, you know, if the run game is being given a little bit of resistance and Ball State's doing a decent job against it, uh, or or loading up the box to try and do a decent job against this, then yeah, it, it would make sense to go over the top and uh, or just you know hit some medium routes or whatever. But it we'll see how the game flows. I just thought it was pretty interesting. Both teams ended up with nearly identical run pass numbers from week one. Uh, another point for me, and we won't spend much time on it because we've already talked about it. But another point for me is just going to be. Uh, for the defense to build on success of week one. Uh, we've seen Indiana's defense have good games before. Now, granted, like you said, they've very, very rarely, if ever, scored 16 points from a defense, uh, and they very rarely hold teams to only 13 points. But they've, we've seen them have good games just in the singular you know, one week, one off time, they've had good games in the Kevin Wilson era. Very rare that they've put good games back-to-back. So can they do that? Can they turn one week of good performance into two weeks and really start to make it become a trend to where there's true belief from the fan base 
And I think there is belief from the players. I think that's already there. And I think we saw it last week and we've heard it from the players. There's true belief there, but from the fan base, will there start to be that true belief developed that, hey, you know, we might not have a terrible defense this year. We might have a defense that's adequate and that can help the offense when it's not clicking entirely. Um, we can win some of these big games, um, you know, in non-shootout fashion. So can they build on that success and turn that one week into two weeks heading into the bye week and really feel good about yourself uh, with those 14 days off? I think that that's, that's one of the, the three kind of the three keys for that are going to be, can you keep forcing those takeaways? Can you continue to quarterback and can you continue to do a really nice job against the run? And that's, you know, that covers all levels of the defense. That covers the line, that covers the linebackers, the secondary. Everybody has to, to continue to do that and work in conjunction to have a successful defense. And uh, I'm, I'm very anxious to see what they do against the ball state attack that, really is, is fairly similar uh, to what you'd see from a, a pro-style attack. You know, it's not a spread offense. They're not, gonna, they're not going to come and put the ball in the air 55 times. I would think that they're going to attempt to rely on the running game plus throw it 30 to 35 times. Uh, but if they fall behind, if Indiana can, can get a lead on them, I think you could see – you know, Ball State be forced to throw it more than they want to. Then you can pin your ears back, get aggressive on defense, get after the quarterback, force them into some mistakes, and then, then you're off. Like, that's the deal for Indiana, just to build that lead and then force Ball State to, to play in your, into your hands. But obviously the, the way the game flow is going will dictate all that. But I, I just hope to see a second good performance from the defense so that we're not thinking that that week one is a fluke. And the, the coaches pointed out, you know, yes, it was improved on defense, but, you know, look at the stats. We're still 10th in the Big Ten in defense after one week. You know, that's obviously very skewed based on your opponent, but um, it'll be interesting to see if the rhetoric changes a little bit, if Indiana's able to have another really good week. Yeah, and that's that's something that, you know, putting back-to-back games on uh, that IU really has struggled uh under Wilson, outside yeah. of last year's 4-0 um, non-conference start in the end of last year, you know, you'd think that they – they, I mean, the perfect example is 2014 when they would – you know, they they played okay, not great against Indiana State and won, lost against Balls, or Bowling Green at, at their place, uh, and then came back and, and beat a ranked Missouri team on the road, and then – came home and laid an egg against uh, Maryland and he could go back to 2013, you know, that they, they win, they lose to Navy, win again, lose to Missouri. Um, and it's just, you know, now if you could put two, two win, two good wins in a row together, now you're going to start building something. You have momentum to take into the open week, get ready for, for Wake Forest and, and roll into big 10 season. Uh, with some momentum, with um, the fan base believing that, you know, okay, this is what we're about now. We could, you know, it's going to take a long time to to regain the trust of the fan base after so many years of, you know, really getting punched in the gut. But it it would be a good start to to put together back-to-back, you know, good performances on defense, uh, you know, and and show improved performance on offense. 
before we uh, move on, uh, or we're, we're going to move on, TJ, uh, to w- our matchup to watch. Alex Compton had our matchup to watch uh, today. Um, we posted it earlier today. It was Kayvon Mabin uh, against uh, Richard Fant. Mabin, uh, Mabin is a 6'2 receiver, uh, Ball State's go-to guy. Um, he is an all-MAC uh, caliber player. He had 60, I believe, 68 yards against uh, Georgia State and uh, could be trouble for IU if if Ball State could get that passing game going to. He's a bigger receiver, could give Fant some trouble, uh, but Richard Fant had, you know, he continued his success from late last year uh, when, you know, he, he was, you know, in the tops, uh, one of the top pass breaking up guys now. He has a pick six under his belt. He broke up a couple more passes last week. Um, can Richard Fant handle um, Mabin on his own? Yes, uh, that's a good matchup to watch. There's no doubt about that. You know, uh, he wasn't in single coverage all game against Thomas Owens. I found Indiana did a really good job scheming Owens out of the game. Uh, but Fant did play a big part in it. And uh, Owens just one catch and eight yards after really – doing a, a tremendous job against Indiana in 2015. So that was a, a good start to the season for fans. And uh, Maben, he's really the, the lone proven big play threat that they have in the passing game. So you feel pretty good about your chances against their passing game if you can, you know, limit what Maben does against you. I, I'm sure he'll get his targets, but if you can limit the big plays that he brings in, you feel pretty good about locking up the Ball State passing game and holding it to – you know, something like under 200 or under 250 if, uh, if Maven doesn't have a big day. Yeah, and uh, you, hopefully that's that's the case. But, you know, that's a matchup to keep an eye on. Uh, Ball State yep. does have the size advantage. Um, but uh, Richard Fant is probably, you know, the, he's the best corner IU has, and this is the guy you want shutting down their best receiver, and it'll be a good test. And if he could, you know, shut him down, limit him to, to a couple catches, uh, you know, under, you know, 50 yards, IU should be in good shape. Um, so, you know, another uh, another thing to watch is special teams. How is Griffin Oaks going to – um, how is Griffin Oaks and, and that field goal team going to bounce back after a disappointing opener? Uh, you know, a missed short missed field goal, uh, a botched snap and, and hold uh, by Mitchell Page. Can they clean that up and, and really put some confidence? Uh, at least, you know, my confidence in Griffin Oaks has been shaken. Uh, he wasn't great against Duke. He wasn't great against Purdue last year to end the year. Um, but, you know, we've seen him hit 11 field goals in a row. We've seen him win Big Ten Kicker of the Year. Can he now, you know, get back on the horse after having a, a not-so-great game and, and put together a, a solid uh, a solid performance? I agree with you. It'd be good to see uh, just a clean performance. Uh, you don't need – you know, you're hoping you don't have to rely on him for a bunch of kicks, but there you know, more extra points and field goals. But uh, it'd be good to see a clean performance from that entire unit, for sure. Yep. All right. Predict, uh, prediction time, TJ, uh, and then we'll get out of here. Uh, what is your uh, prediction for this week's game? I'm going to go with uh, Indiana 38, 
and Ball State's 20. So 38 uh, to 20. I feel like uh, Indiana's going to have a really good day offensively running the ball. Um, I think you'll see Ball State, like I said, 20 points, uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of like 300 to 350 yards for the Cardinals. Um, I don't think that this one is going to feel uh, in danger in the fourth quarter as the FIU game did at the start of the fourth quarter in Miami. I think that you'll have Indiana, not a blowout by any means, but in control in the second half. All right. I think I'm going to go uh, with 45-21. Uh, I, I think Indiana has, uh, you know, it's just – they have more talent. Um, they're going to be comfortable after game one. Uh, they should be able to get into a better, better rhythm offensively um, with uh, Lego being his second game uh, without the dives from the opponents, hopefully. Um, and just, you know, a, a little bit sharper in routes running. They'll have Simi Cobbs back um Probably it was a one-game suspension, so I expect him to be back. Um, but you know, you, you have a, a great offensive line against a, a pretty small defensive line, and, and then you have the defense is is uh, is flying high right now and has should have all the confidence in the world, and I, I expect that to continue. Um, but you know, Ball State will will, will score points. They'll, they'll move the ball a little bit. Uh, but I think the, the IU offense is, is too much for Ball State to overcome. I, I'm going to go 45-21. Yeah, I, I'm looking forward to it for sure. It's, you know, coaches will often tell you, uh, which is just another coach cliche, but that, uh, you know, a lot of improvement, maybe the most improvement occurs between week one and week two. Uh, I don't think that that's often the case, but I do expect, um, quite a bit of improvement, you know, quite a bit of things just being cleaned up after going through it once, uh, going through actual live game once. And Indiana played a lot of guys in their debut, so those guys will be, they'll know what to expect uh, this time around. And home opener, uh, I don't, I don't really care what the score is. I, you know, I just want Indiana to, to beat the Cardinals. I am, I am really, really tired of uh, losing to Ball State. Uh, I was a student there for a couple of years, nice school, nice campus, uh, you know, pretty good mid-major football program with a, a decent tradition, but I, there's no reason to lose to Chirpy for a fourth straight time. There's no reason to lose to them three times. So, you know, enough's enough. I, I'm really hoping Indiana comes out strong and uh, takes care of this one early so we don't have to sweat it out. Yeah, it, it's kind of a statement game for Indiana. Um, you know, it's 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 a rivalry game because Ball State sure. has made it a competitive rivalry game, and credit to them for that. Um, it's an in-state game. They look at IU, uh, you know, as, as seeing them as as little brother, and they're going to be fired up. Their fans are going to be fired up, and you know. IU's got to is not going to take them lightly. After talking to players on Monday, they they know that they've lost the last three in the series, but they know that that wasn't this team, and it wasn't, and it's not going to be this year. So, you know, I, I expect IU to come out fired up, take nothing for granted, not take an opponent lightly, come out and and play well, and and show that this offense hasn't taken a step back, 
and and really put the pedal to the metal. Um, uh, hopefully the weather cooperates uh, with us and, and fans come out. It, it's a four o'clock game. Again, it used to be, a, it, it was originally scheduled for noon. It was moved to four o'clock. Uh, if you're watching on TV, it'll be on ESPN News. Uh, so check your local listings um, and then come back uh, to HoosierHuddle.com for all our coverage throughout the week. Uh, thanks, TJ, for joining us today. We should be back uh, either Sunday or Monday uh, for our postgame show. Absolutely. Looking forward to it. Hopefully we are discussing another win. Those are always our best shows. Yes. Uh, well, thank you for joining us today on the Hoosier Huddle uh, podcast, previewing the Ball State-Indiana uh, game on Saturday at 4 o'clock. Um, come back to HoosierHuddle.com often. Follow us at Hoosier underscore Huddle on Twitter. Uh, like us on Facebook. And uh, we appreciate you guys listening. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. <laughs> I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate, how a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word, Broomgate. The NBA Finals are heating up. Looking for hot takes on all the postseason action? The Old Man and the Three, presented by BMW, is the podcast to listen to for the ultimate finals coverage. Host and former NBA sharpshooter J.J. Redick not only has a plugged-in perspective on the action from his time in the league, but he's also announcing the games in real time for ESPN. J.J. has the ultimate insider point of view, and he's taking you along for the ride as he breaks down the best defensive schemes, dunks, and drives from each game. And speaking of incredible drives, there's no better place to tune into your new favorite podcast, The Old Man and the Three, than in a standard-setting BMW. Luxury meets power to create a wholly new driving experience. Push the limits this NBA season with the brand that set the ultimate standard. BMW, the ultimate driving machine. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. 
Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Comfortable. 